Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mike. Yes. Is the kidney named after the bean or is the bean named after the kidney? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. What is it? Welcome everybody to Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical podcast. Today we are going to discuss the kidney or the renal system. Predominantly we're going to focus on renal anatomy, renal physiology. Now, before we begin, I want to talk about some housekeeping. And this housekeeping is basically just advertising a little bit more about us. Did you know that Matthew and I are academics? We work at a university in Australia where we teach anatomy and physiology. We also teach pathophysiology and pharmacology. And we obviously love talking about this stuff. We also do some medical research as well. And I think it's important that we do a couple of YouTube videos. So we actually have a YouTube channel that's available, which is under the name Biological Sciences, very original. But in this YouTube channel, we actually focus on a number of videos that look up. We have playlists that focus on cardiovascular system, renal system, uh, musculoskeletal system. We go through all these systems and you should be able to access all these YouTube videos and it will help you with your study or just for general knowledge. Again, access that, YouTube Biological Sciences. We also have an Instagram page and a Twitter page. So if you want to follow us, and uh, ask questions. And ask some questions, we absolutely. Love, we love hearing questions. You can follow us both on Instagram and Twitter, where our handle is at GU Biosciences. All lowercase, all one word, at GU Biosciences. Maddie, shall we get started with renal anatomy and physiology? And ask us questions. Oh, like, yeah. why is the kidney called the kidney? 
Is it named after the bean or is the bean named after the kidney? <laughs> See, these are the big, deep questions that we ask ourselves. We ask our students. Matt, where do you want to begin, matey? All right, so this is the first uh, session or the first podcast on a number of them in the urinary system. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, we're going to... So this one's obviously renal anatomy physiology. Then I think the next one, we're going to look at the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. So this is basically how the kidneys regulate blood pressure. And we're also going to do one on the nephron, which is the functional unit of the kidneys, the thing that does all the filtering for us. And we're going to focus on the nephron because it's a pretty amazing structure. Yeah, so I, I don't think we'll go into too much depth today on the microanatomy, but we'll focus more on the gross or the macroscopic anatomy. What do you think? Yes, we will, Matthew. Okay. So if I was to ask you, Mike, what would be the general functions of why we have kidneys? Okay. Plural. Yeah. General plural. Okay. Well, we have two kidneys. Yeah. General function, I would say we could probably break those functions up into three major functions. So the kidneys, number one, they filter. Now, what do they filter? Well, they allow us to be able to excrete metabolic products, toxins, and drugs, Mm. right? So, these products, for example, include... So, these metabolic products include urea and creatinine. Okay. Yeah, some toxins, which we may potentially ingest or begin to accumulate, such as ammonia, and drugs, which we may have ingested. And these drugs will only be... If we are excreting them via our kidneys, they can only be water-soluble drugs. If they are fat-soluble, we don't pee them out. We just continually reabsorb them throughout the system. Okay. So that's one function, filtration. You okay with that? Yeah. Okay. Number two, the kidneys play a role in homeostatic regulation or homeostatic balance. So homeostasis, keeping things in a nice, happy, healthy range. The kidneys do this for our body fluids, so water balance. Electrolyte balance... So electrolytes are those charged atoms or elements, sodium, ion, potassium ion, chloride ion, magnesium ion, hydrogen ion, bicarbonate ion, blah, 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 blah. It also plays a role in acid-base balance, so it regulates how acidic our blood is, or basic, and can regulate our blood pressure. So that's the homeostatic role. Okay with that one? Mm. Okay, you're keen. Number three, (laughs) kidneys play a role in hormonal control. So it helps us control something called erythrogenesis, which is the beginning of new red blood cells. This is through the release of a hormone called EPO. What's EPO stand for? Urethropoietin. Erythropoietin. Not urethro. Urethro. What did I say? You said urethro. What is it? Erythro. You know oh. you know how ereth means red? Erythropoietin. Poietin. 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 The creation of new red blood cells, EPO. Is it only red blood cells? Or was it stimulating the stem cell in the bone marrow full stop? Well, yes, but probably focuses on red blood cells, hence erythropoiesis. Mm. So erythrogenesis, beginning of new red blood cells. I wonder how it would know, though. We've got a very smart system. (laughs) And calcium metabolism. So this is calcitriol, vitamin D. Helps us absorb vitamin D, keeps our bones nice and strong. And also, again, blood pressure. So I put blood pressure in two categories. This is through the release of a hormone called renin. All right, let's, that's, that's the, fu- they're the general functions. Should we start talking about, should we focus on where the kidneys are, what they look like and so forth, and then we can maybe focus on some of these functions? Yes, I think so. Um, <laughs> firstly, why, like comparing us to other animals like I like to do. Yeah. 
my research has found well first of all kidney itself it's pretty difficult to find the etymology of the word yeah um, hence why I asked the question <laughs> is it the bean or what came first yeah. the bean or the kidney whereas I mean if you compare it to Latin or the Greek word they generally use either nephron yeah or, or a renal so oh. so renal adrenal adrenaline yeah so that you makes would have sense. heard these words. Yeah. And nephron, nephros, and epinephros, epinephrine. Yeah. So you heard these words as well. Yeah. Whereas kidney, I think it's more of an English derivative or old English word, but uh, it's pretty vague. Yeah. Anyway, so in the animals, uh, most vertebrates will need a kidney or a kidney-like structure to do two general functions. And that's to excrete, generally waste products, or to maintain their water electrolyte balance. So the osmoregulation. And that's generally looking through all animals up to the mammals, their reasons why they have these two structures or maybe have more than two. Or less? Yeah. Yeah. So when we look at, let's start with excretion in terms of getting rid of metabolic wastes. Yeah. So... The big nutrients that you absorb to keep you going would be carbohydrates, fats, proteins. Yeah. Now, two of those can be broken down pretty quickly and got rid of. Yeah. Like fats and carbohydrates. But proteins are more challenging. Why is that? I don't know. Why? Well, they're made up of the, of the building blocks, amino acids. So, there's 20 types of amino acids. Yeah. But I think, going back to my pie chemistry days... Their uniqueness is they have an amino end, which has got a nitrogen there and yeah. some hydrogen. That's right. And when they're broken down to make energy, they produce ammonia. They do produce ammonia, yeah. And we know that ammonia is something that we clean our bathrooms with. Yeah, it doesn't smell very floors. good. floors. Yeah. And so... NH3 is the chemical structure. NH3. So that would be presumably toxic. Yeah, if it accumulates, ammonia... Can uh, can hurt us. That's for sure. And we, every time we take proteins, uh, and we break them down into amino acids, if we're not going to be using those amino acids to build other proteins, then we need to get rid of them. And mm. so, when we take these amino acids and catabolize them, break them down, like you said, we produce ammonia. And if we let that ammonia accumulate, it's pretty toxic for us. So we need to find a way to get rid of the ammonia. So how do we do it? Are you talking about us as humans? Yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about us as humans, and then maybe we can see how other animals get rid of this ammonia. Well, as far as I'm I'm aware of, mm -hmm. we convert it through the urea cycle in yep. the liver. That's right, and make it into a substance called urea. Yep. In actual fact, we take two ammonia with some carbon dioxide, add a little bit of energy (ATP), and we've got urea. Okay. So this is a way, it sort of buffers out that ammonia, gets, gets rid of that toxic ammonia, puts it in a form which the body can sort of handle a little bit better. But it costs energy to do so. So it's telling, you know, our body really wants to do things that are energy, you know, cost saving, mm. you know, energy saving. So to take ammonia and turn it into urea just so we can get rid of it costs energy, which tells us that ammonia is pretty bad for our body if we're willing to use energy on getting rid of it. Okay, let's just pause there for one second. Yeah. We'll come back to this exact point, okay? Uh -huh. But before, I, I just think we should give the listeners 
um, the anatomy of where our, as in human kidneys, are. Oh, okay. So we generally have two. Yeah. They're located in the abdominal cavity, but they're very deep. So they're very deep lying structures. So they're not like your intestines. They're not like your liver. They're not like your stomach. They're way at the back wall. Okay, so we spoke last week about the gastrointestinal tract and where all those organs yeah. sit. So they so, sit so behind. If you, were to, if you were to cut right down the front of you and opened up your uh, anterior or your front abdominal wall where your front muscles are, the first kind of things that you would see would be your intestines and stomach and liver and so forth. If you were to remove all those out, then you'd come to the back wall of the abdomen. And then there would be a kind of a sheath of tissue that we call the peritoneum, yep. the parietal peritoneum. And that is kind of the covering of the whole abdominal contents. You'd still have to pull that away to get to the kidneys. Uh, so the, the GIT viscera is encapsulated by this peritoneum. And then behind that is where we're going to find the mm. kidneys. Yeah. All right. So it's very it's very deep line structure. So, so you could say it's retro peritoneal. That's right. Behind retro behind. Yeah. Very good. Like the way you <laughs> Thank live. you. You're back in time. You're a yeah. retro man. Well, look at how I dress. <laughs> I have shoes with flowers on them. So All right. So just so you can pick out the landmarks of where they are. Uh, they sit behind or should I say they should sit in front of ribs. Surprisingly, in front of ribs. Yeah, in front. So if you look at the your ribs at the front where you have, you know, where your liver would be sitting mm. or sitting behind and you go all the way back around to where your ribs articulate or kind of somewhat join to your vertebra, mm. you have a couple of ribs. And these are considered the floating ribs. The bottom two? Yeah, 11 and 12. Yeah. In front of them, so towards the front of your body, is they the... the kidneys would be sitting on them okay so your kidneys are at about a level right and left right kidney left kidney the uh, right would be on about the 12th rib Mm -hmm. and the left would be on the 11th 12th so So you're saying so you're saying the right the right kidney is lower than left the right kidney is lower than the left why i was going to ask you that question Okay. Do you want me to answer? Do you want to answer? You want to answer at the same time. Three, two, one. Liver. Liver. Okay. The liver. That big, that big, the largest internal organ of the body, 1.2, 1.6 kilos, sitting above it, pushes it down. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, the kidneys, two of them, right's lower than the left. Okay. Sitting in front of the ribs. They they sit on a, a bed of muscles. So there's actually a few muscles that they sit on. Yeah. They sit on some hip flexors. So if you were to try to um, bring your knee up to your head, let's say. Yes, which I can do. Okay. Um, that would be called hip flexing. Yeah. Okay. And that would be the muscles. Is it the that. psoas? The psoas, yeah. Yeah. See, I'm, you say I'm terrible at anatomy, but I just named the psoas. Major and minor. Yeah, okay. <laughs> major. Did, anyway, you so didn't have to do that to you. You've got the major there, and you've also got another muscle called quadratus lumborum, which yeah, is quad- that's deep. Quadratus is the shape of it, lumborum in the lumbar area. Okay. And you've also got the transverse abdominis. Yeah. And you've also got the diaphragm. So wow. all of those muscles, the kidneys sit on. So 
Are the kidneys close to the uh, vertebrae then? Yep. So either side? Lateral to it, so wow. away from it. Okay. Yeah. So the the doorway, mm. the doorway of the kidney, what's the doorway again? The hilum. The hilum, very yeah. good. So that's what's either going into it or coming out of it. Yeah. That's facing uh, on the right about L1, lumbar 1, and in the left about lumbar 2. So if you look, if you picture in your mind the kidneys as a kidney bean... Sorry, other way around, L1, L2. Good, remember... The right is going to be lower than left. That's right. Yep. So the 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 curved part, the most internal part of the bean, yep, is facing middle. Yep. And so and that's, that's where the hilum is. And so yep. the one on the right is going to be facing L two, and the one on the left is going to be facing L three. One. L one. L one. Okay. So the so basically they go from around about uh, T eleven T twelve all the way down to L three. L three. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Now is it? Do you think it's so? That's highlighting to me. So, a, a, a quick clinical question for you, Michael. All right, go. So, the kidney rests on part of the diaphragm. Yeah. What does the diaphragm do for you? Diaphragm is a sheet of skeletal muscle that when you tell it to contract, it pulls down, increases the volume of the thoracic cavity, decreases the pressure, and we can take a breath in. Okay. Mostly right. What do you mean I, mostly right? I wouldn't That's say it increases the whole thoracic cavity. I mean, say that... I said it increases thoracic volume. Okay, maybe again, not the whole thoracic, <laughs> maybe the plural. All right, yeah, yeah okay, diaphragm. Anyway, helps yeah. you breathe. Yeah. That was my whole point. Yes, okay, had breathe. To bang on for five minutes about. <laughs> Sorry, you you show off with anatomy. I wanted to show off with physiology. So anyway, the diaphragm would go down when you breathe in. Yeah. So my question: If the kidney sits on it, what would the kidney would you expect? do when you breathe in? They'd move. They'd move okay. down. Move. Yeah. Now, do you want your kidney to move? Uh, maybe not too much, I would okay. say. So, how do we keep them? How do we stop them from moving around too much? Okay, so they have they sit on a bed of fat. Like you. <laughs> I've been to your house before. <laughs> uh, I don't have the <laughs> So, this bed of fat, is it encapsulated by this fat? Surrounded well, the, by the, the kidney, fat. the kidney is encapsulated with its own fascia, yeah. Um, but it, this this fat sits out t- outside that as well, like it's is, sort of just placed into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what's it called? Perinephritic fat or perirenal fat. Okay, and yeah. <laughs> depends if you're Greek or Rome, or Greek uh, or Latin. Well, I'm Italian. It's pretty. <laughs> it's it's pretty hard fat too, isn't it? Like nearly as hard as the table. Solid. I've never knocked on it. I've knocked on it. I've knocked You've on knocked it. You've knocked on it? Yeah, I've knocked on it. Okay. But How did the, the person feel? Uh, they weren't too comfortable with it. So, it's it's very solid, that fat though, right? Yeah. That's the point I'm trying to make. It's And it, it's there, f- it plays a couple of roles. One, for protection. Because protection from what? Well, the kidneys are very vulnerable because of where they're sitting retroperitoneal at the back at our flank. Mm. They're very, very subject to trauma and damage. Getting punched in the back. Getting punched in the back, right? So, we've got this huge amount of hard perirenal fat that's one number two like you just said we don't want them to move around too much so they play an anchorage role Mm. right so they anchor those kidneys let them sit there now I think it's important for listeners to know that otherwise they become like you like a floater like a floater you know just floating through this world having fun enjoying themselves the fat of the kidneys that perirenal perinephritic whatever you want to call it fat is a structural kind of fat quite different to our functional fat that we put around our hips and our ass and so forth right that's the fat that we use gluteal Gluteal. that's the that's the fat that we use for energy and energy storage so this is not for energy no 
not primarily for energy. It is there, like I said, for protection and anchorage. But we can, if we really need that energy, if we've used up our other stores of fat, if we really need that energy, we can start moving towards that and breaking that structural perirenal perinephritic fat down mm. to produce energy. So could that then cause your kidneys to be a floater? Dang right, it can. Dang. So if if so, marathon. There's been accounts of marathon runners who have been using so much energy that they've started to move on to their structural fat and they end up getting something which is called a floating kidney, mm. which is called nephro- nephrotosis, N-E-P-H-R-O-P-T-O-S-I-S. I think that's right. Nephrotosis. And that's a floating... They're floating kidneys. Mm. Moving around. I wonder also if they... Because they're running a lot, just jiggling yeah, up and pro- down. Yeah, probably. Jiggling away. All right, so, uh, and then then we go to the kid into the deeper part of the kidney, and it has its own little capsule that wraps it up with the um, the adrenal glands as well. So that's a uh, renal capsule. Yep, that's what's called. Okay. What about and the hilum? Are we going to talk about some things going in and out, some tubes? Yeah. And so so forth? Uh, the size of it is oh, yeah. twelve centimeters in height. Yeah, about one hundred and fifty grams. Yep. Each six six centimeters by three centimeters, so twelve six three. 1263, the dimensions. In centimetres. Not very big. Centimetres, I said. (laughs) Centimetres. They're not very big. uh, American terminology, I think it is 432. Is that right? Inches. Is that my American accent? Inches. (laughs) 321. Anyway. All right. Let's stop confusing people. So the kidneys are pretty small. They're 150 grams each. They're, what you say, about 10 centimetres in diameter? That's what you said? No, I just did height. Height? What was the height? 12 centimetres. 12 centimetres in height. Okay. 150 grams. Pretty small structures, but they actually take 20% of the cardiac output. Yeah. And they, they they come from the bottom and move up. What do you mean? So in development. So From the un- bum? <laughs> in the pelvic, pelvic region. That's where they originate. And they kind of ascend. From, from what? Whilst the gonads go down. So, we have this urogenital system. Yeah. So, we have the kidney system with the ureter. Mm -hmm. And we have the testes or ovaries. And essentially, they develop higher up. Which ones? They descend down. Ovaries or testes. Yeah. Um, Obviously, ovaries stay a lot higher. The testes descend out of the body. Yeah. Not Um, sure if yours have yet. (laughs) And um, the kidneys start low and go up. So sometimes they don't actually separate and they can stay joined. And oh. some people have what they call horseshoe kidneys. Wow. So they, that's what they're shaped like. And they stay in the pelvis? Yeah, they kind of get... I think they get kind of stuck on the way up wow. in the, on the inferior mesenteric artery. I think they get kind of plugged there. Because I but, know... Yeah, go on. But as they're working their way up, they get new blood supplies on their way up. And so it's probably thought that the kidney has kind of little sections to it, but then encapsulate into one organ. But some people will have congenital slight... Not abnormalities, but just differences mm. where they might have two little separate parts and that probably also explains why the blood supply, even though it comes from generally one renal artery, yeah. but it has segmental parts to it. So it has generally five segmental yeah. branches of the renal artery, but sometimes that could be segmented a lot 
further away. So, so, is, so our kidneys are quite diverse. Yeah, very. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, should we start talking about the... Well, we should, I think it's important to say that our kidneys, when we talk about the efferent tubes that are coming out and away from the kidneys, so mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about the fact that the kidneys are connected to the uh, two ureters, which are two tubes. All right, so let's go... In and then back out. So we go, oh, okay. we go from the aorta, yep. which is the big, big artery of the body, yep. and we shoot out laterally on both sides uh, a right and a left renal artery. So so the aorta, which has just come from the left ventricle, yep. has looped its way back down through the diaphragm, yep. down into the abdomen with the abdominal aorta now. Yep. And you're saying there's a branch of the abdominal aorta called the renal artery. Yep, and on there's the, going on to the right and left. Right and left. So one's going to the right kidney, one's going to the left, and they're the right and left renal artery. Correct. Okay, then what? Then and what then happens? Then it to comes that? into the hilum. Now yep. this is just generally speaking, from you know, if you're going to do an average of all people, this is how it would most likely look. It would come into the hilum and then segment, so it would break into generally five parts. Okay. And the five parts is just broken into an anterior portion. And a posterior portion, and the anterior has first a further four, which is the top, which is they call an apical, yeah, an upper, a middle, and a lower. So the anterior branch of the artery has four branches, and there's only one posterior. Okay. And then it goes into the, it goes into the main part of the, the kidney itself, and it kind of goes between these th- structures that we have lots in uh, Egypt. Ah. Pyramids. Oh, pyramids. That's what I was hoping you were going to say. Sorry, I was going to say sand. (laughs) So, yeah, it goes between these pyramids, okay? And they're called, what's that branch? Uh, Of the segmental artery. Okay, so uh, let me think about it again. You get the uh, abdominal aorta branching off to the renal artery, which is then branched off to those five or so segmental arteries. These segmental arteries then move through what's called these renal pyramids that look like upside-down pyramids. Mm. It goes between them and they're called interlobar arteries. Okay. Okay. So as these are branch as these continue to branch out like we're talking about, we're going from the little center entry point of the hilum mm. all the way out to the outer exterior of the kidneys. Because mm. you've got two main aspects. You've got the cortex, which is the outer edge of the kidneys, and the medulla, which is the internal part. Yeah. So we're still in the medulla here, because in that medulla we've got eight or so of these upside down renal pyramids which is dispersed throughout the medulla. You can actually have between about 5 to 18, I think, is the variation, like you said. Quite a variable structure the kidneys are. Sound like Yoda now. Um, and so we've got these interlobar arteries moving between these upside-down renal pyramids. Yep. Okay, then what happens? Once they've moved past these renal pyramids, they're at the base of these pyramids. Yeah. Then they branch again, right? Yeah, into the arcuate artery, which is probably the best way to demarcate the cortex from the medulla. So they kind of run on that junction. Ah, so, uh, so you're saying that as the interlobar artery goes between the pyramids, it then takes this 45-degree angle and moves along the base of that pyramid. Pyramids, yeah. And the base of these pyramids is the junction between the cortex and the medulla. Yeah. And if you were to cut the kidney in a frontal plane, yeah. so if you were to cut it into an anterior-posterior or a front and back section, you would actually see that the medulla is much darker than the cortex. Okay. So these arcuate arteries have just taken this 45-degree turn. Then they branch off again, and, and these, this branch is what moves into the cortex now. Yeah. And this is called the interlobular arteries. Okay. 
So we've gone from aorta, abdominal aorta, to renal artery, to segmental arteries, to interlobar arteries, to arcuate arteries, to interlobular arteries. Mm. And each time they're getting more numerous and smaller in diameter. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And then we come into the primary little unit of the kidney, which is the nephron. The nephron. And this is where the interlobular arteries branch off into what we call afferent arterioles. Mm. Afferent. So, so the afferent arterioles are now the final stage of branching. I think so. Yeah. And so then it enters into the ball of wool, which is just the cluster of capillary, which is the glomerulus, which well, I think which I that's what ball of wool. Means. Yeah, it means yeah. ball of yarn. Ball of yarn. So so uh, just like every other part of the body, we've gone from large arteries down into a smaller arteriole and now into a capillary bed. Mm. Right? So that makes sense, but this capillary bed is the site of filtration, right? Yep. And like you said, it's called the glomerulus, which means ball of yarn because these capillaries are bundled up as these tight balls of yarn-looking things. Mm. And each of these balls of yarn, each of these glomeruli, sit within a capsule. And this capsule is one part of a larger structure, which we call the nephron, which is, like you said, the functional subunit of the kidneys. How many nephrons do we have per kidney? Between 800,000 and a million. Per kidney. Mm. So we have about 2 million per uh, <laughs> per human. Yeah, and I, and I believe they start dropping off through life. So you, you oh. they slowly die off. But we only need around about a million or less to yeah. survive. I so you could do without a kidney and be fine for the rest That's of your right. life. So I think two-thirds, a functional two-thirds of one kidney is sufficient. So we call that redundancy. Mm. Good. So we've gone through the glomerulus, so, so we've pushed all the fluid out of the blood. We'll we'll cover this in another podcast, because it is quite detailed. And then we come out with another vessel, which is the efferent, and that is still an artery. Okay, wait a minute. You mean arterial. Now, this is where it differs from other parts of the body. Usually, you're going to have an artery, an arterial, a capillary bed, which we do have here, but then on the other end of the capillary bed we usually have venules, mm. which turn to veins. Yeah. And that's telling us that something's happening at the capillary bed to turn an arteriole into a venule mm. at tissues. And that thing that happens is usually gas exchange. Cause art- and you know, nutrients are being exchanged and so forth. So, well, The majority of your capillaries in the body will have a degree of pushing pressure with fluid your fluid part of your blood can come out of the vessel to bathe the cells, to, to take the oxygen out, to take the nutrients out, to take the vitamins out, to take the electrolytes out. But then it will get pulled back in, in the venous end. That's right. But you don't want too much fluid to come in. No. Now, when you look at another capillary bed, say in the lungs, no fluid comes out. It's purely just for gas exchange. Just oxygen comes in at the lungs, carbon dioxide comes out. Now, in the kidneys, it's a different type of capillary. It's a high-pressure capillary, so it wants to push heaps of fluid out, as much as it can push out. But no gas exchange? Yes. No gas exchange, because otherwise, on the other end of this capillary bed, would have a venule. Yeah. But we have an arterial, so we still have an, you know, a similar concentration of oxygen and carbon dioxide mm. at the afferent arteriole compared to the efferent on the other side of the capillary bed. 
Yeah, so its its primary function here at the capillary bed is purely just to get all that fluid of your blood out, which is the plasma, essentially. It's, it's the site of filtration. Yeah. And so I think just... I know you said we're going to focus on this in another podcast when we look at the nephron and glomerular filtration and so forth. But just so people are aware, when when this blood comes in from the abdominal aorta, mm. right, your heart pushes out five liters of blood a minute. That's called your cardiac output. Of that five liters, twenty percent goes to the renal artery. Yep. So that's one liter ish. Mm. Of that one liter. 400 mils of cells, red blood cells, white blood cells, cell fragments, platelets, so forth. And 600 mils is plasma. Of that 600 mils that's getting to your kidneys of plasma, 20% is getting filtered into this gl- in, through this glomerulus. So we filter from that 600 mils, 20%, which is 120 mils, which means every minute we create 120 mils of filtrate. In our kidneys, every minute. Now that so 120 mils, milliliters per of, minute of potential P, which if you ex- extrapolate that out to the day, that ends up being around about 170 to 180 liters of filtrate per day we create of urine. Of urine, it's a lot of urinating. Now, do you pee out 170 to 180 liters a day, Matthew? <laughs> well. <laughs> don't like to toot your own horn no the answer is no because you'd be peeing right now I hope you're not no you're, okay you sure that little smirk on the side of your face isn't okay so the question then is if we are filtering 170 to 180 litres a day of this blood how can we don't pee it out and the answer is of all the stuff we filter we throw 99% of it back into the body. Mm. That's going to be the focus of our nephron lecture. How we filter all that stuff and why we throw 99% of it back, which means we only pay out 1% of that 180 litres, which is 1.8 litres. All right. And, and yes. well, I was going to talk about it later, but we're here now, so I'm going to mention it. All right. When we compare ourselves to other animals, okay, we have a kidney most suited with what you just explained now to be like a freshwater fish. So we have a freshwater fish kidney. Yeah. So what that means is, you know, with animals, you generally have two types of um, nephron or two types of kidney. You have a secreting kidney or a filtrating kidney. So a kidney that you can just secrete into or you just... um, Anything in the blood that you really don't want, you kind of just deposit it out into the urine. Or you have a filtration kidney. So excrete, not secrete. Well, I think they call it secrete. Okay. That appears logic, but logical, but it's called secreting okay. kidney. Now, in a filtrating kidney, it's basically where you just get everything out, okay? And then if you need to, you can then reabsorb what you need. Wow. And so if you think about fish in fresh water... They are in themselves hypertonic. What does that mean? Compared to the water, meaning they've got more stuff dissolved dissolved in them than what's in the water. So if you if you were to say that the fish was a bucket of water, and then like you know a bag of water, yeah, compare and put that bag of water in a swimming pool, right? You'd say that there's more salts and stuff dissolved in that bag of water than compared to the amount of salts dissolved in the pool surrounding it. 
So I guess it depends on what type of the pool is. But <laughs> regardless, <laughs> a salt water pool or a well, regardless, if if what we're saying is that the bag contains more stuff dissolved in it than the yeah. pool in which it's in. Yeah. Okay. And so, so what does that mean then? Its problem is a freshwater fish is to get too much water pushed into it. Because of osmosis. That's right. Water wants to travel to an area where there's a high concentration of stuff dissolved in it. That's right. To balance it out. And so, freshwater fish have adapted or evolved a kidney-like structure to have a big glomerulus, so a big starting point of the nephron, Mm. and just to force heaps of fluid out of it so it can just pee all the time. Because it just wants filtration to occur at all times. Yeah, it just has to get rid of all this free water. So, it's constantly just urinating. And obviously, you don't see it because it's in the water. Mm. Does it make sense? It does. So, it will gain water to its environment. Okay. Whereas, saltwater fish is a different type of um, kidney. And it's more like us or the terrestrial animals. So, it's more likely to lose water to its environment. But didn't you say our kidneys are more like a freshwater yeah. fish? And so... Um, it would seem counterintuitive, yeah. And therefore, because we've got a a, a filter, filtration kidney, that means we actually push out too much stuff. So we got to get it all back in. Ah, uh, so that's so, why we filter 180 liters a yeah. day, but we don't pee out 180 liters that's a day right. like a fresh fish. Exactly, we reabsorb it like a saltwater fish. Yes. God, you're good, Maddie. So what that means is, once we move on to the land, um, we have to develop a better reabsorbing system. Yeah. Okay, so this takes us back to the nephron. And the big difference... Can we say Zach Nephron? Can we call it Zach Nephron? It's your podcast, mate. It's our podcast, Matthew. So in the nephron, we've already spoken about the glomerulus, but there is a special loop that we'll talk about in another one called the loop of Henley. Now, the loop of Henley is what really does the reabsorbing or concentrating. And so as animals move into areas more likely to be dehydrated, say like deserts, or even going back into the salt water, they need to make a longer loop, a longer loop. And this loop goes deeper into that pyramid or deeper into the medulla. Did you tell everyone that that loop is part of the nephron? I possibly missed that detail. <laughs> that, the, that the nephron is just like a big looking snake. The yep. capsule is like the head with its mouth covering the glomerulus, so the filtration portion, and then there's just this huge snaking-like structure, which are the tubules of the nephron. And if you have a very... One aspect of that is, like Maddie said, is the loop of Henley, or the nephron loop, and the longer that loop is, the more time you have to reabsorb stuff back into the body and actually yeah. creates more concentrated urine, but allows you to reabsorb more water back in your body so you can remain hydrated. That's right. And, right. So, and so when you compare, say, mammals... We have a spectrum, and some animals can just do two times, they can concentrate their urine two times more concentrated to their blood, or some can go 25 times more concentrated in their blood. And so when you have, say, the desert, I think it's called the kangaroo rat, yeah, which I think is in Australia. It would make sense, hence the name. It can concentrate its urine 25 times more than what its blood is, which Whoa. means it's not really peeing out any fluid. It just pees out crystals. Wow. So that would hurt. That would hurt. Yeah. That, yeah. All right. Okay. And so we're, probably, we're probably somewhere in the middle. Okay. So but we, we do have the capacity, and we'll do this in the nephron 
podcast, but we have the capacity to really, really reabsorb it. Nice. Okay. All right. So what we're, where we're up to is that we said that the Afrin arterioles come in, turned into a glomerulus, ball of yarn, a capillary bed. It's encapsulated by the nephron. All this stuff's filtered out. Let's just say we've done that filtration. We've then on the other end have the Efrin arteriole. It's another arteriole, so we said no oxygen's really tr- exchanged, so it's still quite oxygenated, but we've just pushed a whole bunch of fluid out. Mm. That Efrin arteriole, then as it comes out of the glomerulus, it actually starts to move its way back down in the opposite direction and wrap itself around the body of the nephron, right? Mm. And so this is what we call peritubular capillaries. To help the reabsorption, right? To help reabsorb that 99% of stuff. Yep. But is that also the site where we get oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange and so forth? I'd imagine so. Yeah, I'd imagine so. And so that then turns into... Now it goes venules. That's right. So it's telling us that gas exchange has occurred. So now we turn into the venules and they start to move their way in the opposite direction. And they have the same names, but they're just called veins and instead of, instead of the... Interlobular, all that, yep. arcuate, interlobar. And then we go back out the renal vein. Now, uh, and that then goes back, not to the abdominal aorta in this case, but it goes back to the uh, inferior vena cava, which then goes back to the heart. All right, so what about the, we just said we've made all this filtrate. Yep. And uh, the 180 litres a day, yet we've reabsorbed 99% of it back yep. into, the, into, that, into those peritubular capillaries, which then went into the renal vein. So of that 1% that's been filtered, that mm. 1.8 litres a day, mm. where's that go to now? So it continues through the nephron. Yeah. And then once the end point of the nephron, so it kind of goes through the glomerulus, <laughs> through the proximal convoluted tubule, loop of Henle, distal convoluted tubule to the collecting tubule. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there's another name for this. Well, the collecting duct. Or the collecting tubule or collecting duct. Now, it can be called the urinephorous tubule. I don't like that name. You don't know it? Oh, I'll forget it. Okay. I'll just say collecting duct because that's where we start to collect urine. Once once we've hit the end of the collecting duct, no more, we don't reclaim any more of this fluid or electrolytes or substances. Whatever's present in the tube at the end of the collecting duct is going to be pee. Yep. And most of those pyramids, so when you look at the pyramids in the medulla, it has kind of a striated or stripe-like And that's because of what reason? That's all the collecting ducts. Okay, they're starting to move their way through those pyramids. Yep. And then do they... They're just dropping off little drops of urine. Drop, 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 At the apical or apex of the pyramid. So the tip. The tip of it. Which is facing towards the hilum. Yes, that's right. And it goes through a papillae, a renal papillae. Um, Nipple, doesn't it? Sure. Uh, which has got another kind of filtration aspect to it. Yeah. And then it drains through that into the minor calyx, or minor calyx. And now calyx means cup. So a minor calyx means small cup. Small cup. And three or four minor calyces drain into one major calyx. And then there's probably three or four major calyxes in the kidney, which drain into a basin and Latin in basin is pelvis so it goes into the renal pelvis so we got so we got all this drip 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 from the collecting ducts dripping down to the point of the pyramids and they drip into these small cups called a minor yep. calyx which then collect at bigger 
cups so called a major calyx. One major. And then that goes down into one big collecting basin, which is called the renal pelvis. Yep. And so now I've got all this fluid, and then that fluid goes away from the renal pelvis. So then it comes out of the hilum as the ureter. And where does the ureter go? The ureter has a you know a course that goes down the abdom, back of the abdomen, and then kind of goes across the pelvic brim into the pelvis and then drains into the bladder. And the bladder is our collecting area, our storage basin, our storage region. And then from the bladder, where does it go to? It goes out. So we've got two ureters that drain into one bladder. Yep. And then at the base of the bladder, we go out um, into the urethra. Depend on your If you're female or male, it will depend on how long that urethra is. And then it would go out to the toilet hopefully or the tree or or the back right tire of your car yes if you're a canine that's right lifting your leg up <laughs> all right perfect how good is that now i just want to mention one last point and then we're out of here yep. out of here out of here we don't want to talk about any more functional stuff no i think we'll do that next time okay but since we spoke we kind of did briefly once we were in the nephron talk about the regulation of water and electrolytes we did um, and that's to hold your osmolarity so you don't become either too watery or too much like a prune. Mm-hmm. It's constantly regulating that. But going back to the ammonia, um, animals, all animals, all, all vertebrates have the same problem. They need to get rid of the protein, dangerous part of the protein, which is that um, ammonia end. And they do that in three ways again. So there's some that just excrete ammonia as ammonia. That's right. There's some that create uric acid. What was uric acid? As in, what, what's the chemical structure for uric acid? Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. <laughs> don't ask me that you're question. The, you're the biochemist. Yeah. And then there's urea, which is more us. Okay. Okay. Now, the animals that live mostly in fr- lots of water... They don't need to repackage it into urea or uric acid. They just freely excrete it into the water constantly. So fish and certain other animals like eels or so forth. Because they're in an environment that can dilute it, right? That's right. So they can just keep excreting it out of their gills or their skin and so forth. But it also makes sense because you said that the way that their kidneys function is just a mass exodus of fluid. Yeah. But that would be still salt and fresh, would yeah, regardless. And then you kind of go into the some of the land animals. And so this would be, say, like reptiles or birds. They kind of do different things. They do um, uric acid. And so I think these animals, I can't tell you the difference in chemical structures between urea and uric acid. However, um, what I do know about, say, birds and reptiles, they do excrete it into a, a cloaca, which is a combination of bowel and urine. And so there is another degree of reabsorption at that lower bowel region or lower cloaca region. Yep. And they can actually um, retroperistalsis back up the colon a bit and reabsorb some electrolytes. But we probably know that, you know, with birds and so forth, I mean, I have chickens and you can smell that ammonia smell and that's in their poo, which you can also... In some bird poos, you can see that whitening colour. Yeah. So that would be presumably the uric acid aspect of it, ah. which is quite uh, acidic as well. And that's why if you see, say, lots of birds perching over waterways, like they're up in the trees and they pool into the water, that can cause certain 
um, blooms, algae blooms because of all that ammonia and urea. So don't drink the water that birds poo into. <laughs> all right, thank you for the advice. And then you go to the mammals, which is the urea. So they, it's like us, they recreate the ammonia into urea, which you explained earlier. Yeah. Put it back into your blood, goes to your kidneys, you, you, you urinate it out. Okay. Now, interest in some... Some animals kind of move between it. So you do have some animals that can kind of like amphibians can do a bit of ammonia here, but then they can, once they um, go onto land, they can do another thing. Well, what I found really interesting is turtles. Yeah. They have kind of like kidneys in their head. What? <laughs> so when they are in the water, they're just excreting the ammonia, I think, out outside their orbital glands. Their eyes. Their eyes. They and so they come, out their eyes. They come out their eyes. Yeah. Some, so, so some snakes come out of saliva, but I think uh, turtles come out of their eyes. Pee out their eyes. Pee out their eyes. So um, I think in Central America, when the uh, turtles would come on to lay eggs onto land, um, the indigenous population would see them crying. Wow. And they, would th- they thought that as they're leaving their, their eggs... They were crying and they're sad and so forth, but they were actually just <laughs> needed to take a leak, <laughs> as we would say in Australia. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's just a, I just thought, an interesting comparison. It is interesting. I think it's, we need to talk about the fact that um, uric acid, we, we do create uric acid, obviously, and if we create too much uric acid, that can accumulate in our joints. Mm. That's called gout. And that's from excessive protein, usually. O- often. Like alcohol. Often it's stated, you know, reduce the amount of protein intake and so The King's forth. disease. The King's disease because they were eating quite well, a lot of protein, a lot of proteinaceous foods and a lot it's of a alcohol. Wine, wine, a lot of wine. tomatoes and so forth, part of it. Um, I think we should also talk about the fact that you can, use, you can measure urea in the blood and that tells you, uh, a, gives you a good indication as to the function of the kidneys. Yeah, excretion, it's how well it's excreting. Yeah, that's right. So, so nitrogenous products so nitrogenous waste products which are just products of uh, protein and muscle metabolism right they need to be expelled from the body at a quite regular rate Mm. right and this is often expelled as urea and also as creatinine so urea is from protein catabolism protein breakdown so that be called bun that's called which stands for blood urea nitrogen Mm. and so this is a measure of the amount of urea, uh, nitrogenous products, creatinine and so forth within the blood. And we should know that it's at a particular rate, at a particular level, I should say, particular concentration, because the kidneys should filter it at the same rate all the time, regardless mm. of what's going on. So if your kidneys are stopped working, it telling you it's clogging, clogging the system up, it accumulates in the blood. So you can measure blood serum of you know, blood urea, nitrogen and creatinine, and it tells you how well the kidneys are functioning. functioning. Does that make sense? Mm. Now, creatinine is the better measure because regardless of what's going on, creatinine should be consistent. Urea can actually change a little bit depending on how many proteins you eat, right? So that can change a lot. You just have protein bars all day. Well, look at the size of me, mate. I'm a monster. What do you expect? Anything else? So do you want to talk about... So next uh, next podcast, we're going to talk about blood pressure, blood pressure regulation. Why which the kidney? Is 
by the kidney. It's one of the major functions of the kidney. So today we spoke mostly about the filtration aspects. Very minor. Well, yeah. I think we will do a complete podcast on the nephron. Good. As it moves from the start all the way to the end. That'll be... Every single little part of it. One of the next this podcasts. Is, this was just more of an overview. Okay. Easy. And looking at the gross anatomy. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Again, if you want to ask us questions, contact us or just see what we're doing. Follow us on Twitter at GU Biosciences. Also follow us on Instagram at GU Biosciences. Tell everyone about our podcast. If there's other people you know that like medicine, medical science, even nursing, pathophysiology, pharmacology, anatomy, physiology, blah, 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 blah. Please, we love doing this. Ask us questions. You can also contact us via email gubiosciences at gmail.com Apart from that, thanks guys. See ya. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.